in Luke 18, we're dealing with the expectations um, of the kingdom among the disciples and followers of Christ. So as the text has been read for you, it's obvious that we're dealing with what is the kingdom of God like. And again, it's because the expectations on the part of the disciples and those who had been following Christ for a number of months at this point is that the kingdom's presence is going to be enormous, right? Um, It's going to be external. It's going to be more geopolitical and, and external in its power and in its function, in its signs. So the expectation at this point um, is, is what is needing to be addressed. Remember, in the overall scope of Luke's gospel, we're only a few weeks, basically, away from the crucifixion event. So, so, so time is narrowing toward the events at Jerusalem. And the question on the mind of the disciples, and again, I don't know how many particularly are here that he is addressing in verse 18. We just don't have access to know how large is the crowd. Um, It it certainly has probably dwindled from the multi-thousands we had back in chapter 12 at one point. It's probably dwindled down. I don't know that it's specific to only the 12 at this point, but there is a smaller group here, and there's an enormous expectation on their part for this glorious external presence of the power and majesty of the kingdom of God. So as the episodes keep moving and we move toward Jerusalem, there's a rising tension, right, between the disciples of what they're experiencing and expecting from the very beginning of Old Testament history to what they're witnessing and seeing right here in the ministry of Jesus. There's this rising tension, and the question that is on their minds is, where is the presence of the kingdom? Where is it? Now, we don't have evidence that they verbalized it, and that's significant also. Remember, at this point in chapter 11, Jesus has already instructed these men and disciples to pray what? Your kingdom come. How should we pray? Teach us to pray. Okay, I'll teach you to pray. Pray like this. Thy Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So we exalt God, Father, and Pray, petition, thy kingdom come. Right, so where is the kingdom? Is the question on the mind of the disciples. In in, in fact, from a, a, a branding perspective, at this point in time, Jesus is doing everything opposite of building and gathering and expanding. He's not building great brand loyalty at this point. There, there is, he's dividing. He's driving people in a direction opposite of a man seeking to build a movement. Where's the brand loyalty? Where's the expectation? Where, where's the manifestation of the power and presence of the kingdom of God? Where is it? Again, from a disciple's perspective, we've left everything and we're following you right into the kingdom. But Jesus, if you're looking to build a movement and gain some loyal citizenry, we're not exactly on pace. Where is the power and the presence of the kingdom? 
And again, it's not that they verbalized this. We don't have any interaction, the beginning of 13, all the way through the woman who had the disabled spirit of what we looked at last week. That There was somewhere in there a, a question that was going about, or someone brought to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, where is the power and presence of the kingdom? But Jesus is sensing this among his own disciples, that there is a concern here over what do we got going? What are we doing it's not exactly all coming together in the powerful presence of the kingdom of God that we have anticipated, that we have, since you taught us, been praying for. So, again, look at the beginning of verse 18. You, you, you'll see how this is developing. He says, the text says, he said, therefore... Now, again, each of us who have done Bible studies at any level, the, the constant refrain of, of doing hermeneutics or Bible interpretation is when you see a therefore, ask, what's it there for? Right? So, 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 so what, what is the thought connective? How, how is, when he says, he said therefore, what? Where, where did the therefore come from? Why, why are we, how did you build at this point a discussion about the kingdom? When what we have seen is a healing of a woman. How are these things, how does it make sense? Like, after healing a disabled spirit, the very next thing we're going to talk about is the presence of the kingdom. What? How is that a therefore? How, how, how is that dependent upon this? What, what? Again, we're wondering, I know you're wondering. And I'm about to explain it to you. In a way that you can grasp. Because what you're having a problem with isn't the presence of the kingdom what you're struggling over and understanding, conceptualizing, receiving through faith is what the kingdom actually is. It's an issue of expectations, not an issue of the presence of the kingdom. In other words, if, if we are to attach as we move forward then, what our Lord is saying at the beginning of verse 18 how does it make sense that he says, therefore? It's because what he is about to explain is that the miraculous healing of the disabled woman in verses 10 through 17, and I can see some here this morning who weren't with us last week, um, but, but that won't be very confusing to you. But we are tying what was ex explained last week from 10 to 17. This healing of the disabled woman is evidence for the presence of the kingdom. Where's the kingdom? Well, how do I explain it? It was in verses 10 through 17. Of course, he didn't say verses, <laughs> right? It, it, it occurred in the healing of the woman. But that's why it makes sense after this healing to talk to you now about its presence. Okay, so as we move into the text, again, what we're dealing with this morning is the expectation of the disciples regarding what is or where is the presence of the kingdom. And knowing that there is a fundamental misunderstanding regarding the presence and nature of the kingdom, it prompts Jesus to then bring up a perfectly placed question. So read with me, look with me in verse 18. You'll see, so... He said, therefore, knowing the confusion in the room, knowing the question on the hearts of the minds of others, where is the kingdom? Where is the power? 
sensing this, he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And then, and then further, and we'll look just in a moment, he furthers it a little bit and says, and to what shall I compare it? You see, in, in other words, it's got this rhetorical effect upon them. He said to them, therefore, he said to them, you tell me, what is the kingdom like? Well, all right, well, I can tell you what it's like. It's like overthrowing the Romans. Bringing in the armies. Raising up a people. Setting what is wrong in Rome. Setting it right. Everybody knows that. Right? It's an issue of... So Jesus is it's not an issue of where is it. It's here. The question is, how do you conceive of it? So, you explain to me then, you know, and that's a great way of conversation, clearing up confusion, right? Is maybe we're not talking about the same thing. Um, we're saying the same words, but we're not really touching on the same topic. Instead of like us having a, a two-way conversation, you take a minute and you then explain to me what you're saying or what you're thinking, because I don't know that we're connecting you say to me, so, so Jesus in this perfect analysis, knowing the burden on their minds and their hearts, moving toward Jerusalem, it's not going to get, in their terms, more powerful. It's going to be a movement that is dying. But Jesus' point is, no. It's just getting ready to launch. Well, where are the soldiers? No, guys. Okay, you tell me. What is the kingdom like? The answer to that question, if we were there, and now we have the benefit of knowing the whole text and being able to read through the whole text and see the sequence of how Luke put it together, but the answer to that actual question is this. It's like what we just saw. You, you, you tell me, God, you tell me, what is the kingdom like? Knowing, I know the conversation you're having right now in your hearts. I know the conversation in your minds. Guys, you tell me, what is the kingdom like? Answer, it's like what we just saw. But what did they just see? Think about this for a moment. And I know, again, some were not able to be with us, but we'll just jump up into the text and take a peek at it. What did they just see? They saw a woman who was disabled for 18 years, be made whole. That's what they just saw. What is the kingdom like? Where is the kingdom? Tell me what it's like. It's like what you just saw. You saw a woman who was broken for 18 years be made whole. What, what else was in, in the text? Look at verse 12 and 13 just quickly. Jump right up there. Look at when Jesus saw her. The Savior, he gazed on her. And then he said, come over to me. Come over here. Now, at the point of the woman traveling from the corner of the synagogue room to Jesus, who is clearly in the front of the synagogue, verse 10, conducting teaching ministry, she comes over to him. How slow do you think that moment lasted? Or how long do you think it lasted? And how slow she walked? Well, why? Because the text already told us she's bent over and can't even straighten. Verse 11. Can you imagine the hush in the room? 
come over to me. And then when he saw her, he said to her, Woman, you are free from your disability. What is the kingdom like, guys? It's like what you just saw. You saw a woman who was broken, diseased for over 18 years, and she was made whole. Spiritually, you saw a dynamic that was nourishing to her. What is the kingdom like? It's like, you know, soldiers. No, wait. Maybe it's not a problem with the presence of the kingdom. It's a problem with your expectations. She was spiritually nourished. That's a mark of the kingdom. That's a part of its presence. How did we see that she was spiritually nourished? Look at the text in verse 13. And he laid his hands on her, not just physically healing her, but he spiritually lifted her burden and nourished her. Immediately she was made straight, physically healing, spiritual nourishment. She glorified God in response. He said to them, therefore, what do you think the kingdom of God is like? It is like a woman who is disabled being set free and physically made whole. It is a woman who is burdened and set about by spiritual hardship. She is brought to spiritual nourishment. And then again, look at how she is set free from her spiritual oppression. Verse 16, there is a satanic influence and the Son of God banished it from this woman's life. Verse 16, Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years? Again, a daughter of Abraham, spiritually oppressed. Look at the terminology in the text. She was bound, and now she is loosed. Where's the kingdom? Guys, you tell me what you think it's even like. What more could you ask for? What more could we as an audience, as Christians, reading the text, what more could we see here? And what more could we long for than the concept and the truth and the reality of the kingdom to be a place where wholeness eliminates brokenness? No, I want, I want, I want that. How could you ask for that and long for that more than this? A desire, a a place, a peace, a place where wholeness, full humanness in the design of God is present with the elimination of brokenness and sin and disease. What more are you asking for? Guys, you tell me what the kingdom is like. What more would you want than what you've seen? That life can conquer death. What more do you want? Overthrow the Romans? Is that better Remember, this life is momentary. But the soul goes on to live forever. What more could you ask for in the kingdom than freedom to come to those who are held in sin's captivity? It's not a question of the kingdom presence. It's a question even today of our expectations for what that kingdom is. You see, the miraculous healing of the woman is evidence. It's a body of evidence 
to display that no matter what the human or spiritual oppression arrayed against the kingdom is. In the first century, in 1800 BC, back with Abraham, or all the way in the 21st century, and as the earth continues to move, this text is a body of evidence that grows to express that no matter what human or spiritual oppression arrayed against the kingdom is, no matter what it is, the kingdom of God will assuredly triumph. God's reign on the earth is not for just a future era. God's reign on the earth, as we see here, as Jesus himself provokes in conversation, has begun in his own ministry. Let me step back for a moment and define then, in light of this thought, that Jesus is asking, what do you think it's like? Like, if if I asked you the same question as the text is asking you in an expectation way, but if I was to ask you to write it down, what would you write down to the question, what is the kingdom of God like? What would you begin to write down? You think, well, it's so kind of ambiguous. I don't know where I would start. Well, then what are your expectations for it? How would you define it in order that your hope might rest in it? If it's something that's way beyond and hard to define and can't grasp at all, how does it empower How does it fuel you on? How is it where your hope is resting if we can't step back for a moment and maybe even write a definition for it? This is a good text for us. What do we think the kingdom of God is like? Let me give you a small definition for it and then hopefully be able to somewhat prove it through the rest of the passage. What is the presence of the kingdom? We might say something like this. As Jesus has evidenced here in the healing of the woman of disease. The presence of the kingdom is the place where God reigns. Absolutely. And that absolute rule is carried out according to his justice, his mercy, and his righteousness. This is the presence of the kingdom. Let me read it one more time. Because again, he's asking, what do you think it is? What are your expectations for it? Are you a citizen of it? Does your hope await its return, its expansion? What, how are you connected to the presence and the power of the kingdom? Right now, would you suggest you're a kingdom citizen? And in what way? One more time, maybe we would say something like this. The presence of the kingdom is the place where God reigns absolutely. And that absolute rule is carried out according to justice, mercy, and his righteousness. Just before I proceed then, I want to tie that definition back to what we just evidenced in the woman's healing. N.T. Wright makes this excellent comment. In order to take that definition and we can apply to the episode that we just saw with the healing of the woman, 
excellent statement by Wright says this, quote, every time, think about this now right here for us, from this first century text to the 21st century believer living his life daily in evangelistic conversation, in friendships, in sorrows and in triumphs. Think about this thought of the kingdom and how it speaks to your life every day. N.T. Wright says, quote, every time the spirit breaks the satanic chains, right? Wait a minute. Ought not this woman of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed? N.T. Wright agrees, yes, she should. And not only then, but every time the Spirit breaks the satanic chains that have tied people up. Another victory is won for the kingdom. And it will proceed to have lasting repercussions. Notice how Jesus then moves this thought of the kingdom, that it's every time. It's not this, aren't we walking into Jerusalem? Are we going to overthrow the tables, burn the place down, and set it right? No, no, no. The kingdom, your expectations need to be adjusted. Every individual act where someone is set free is a work of the kingdom. Your idea is like, no, it's all or nothing. It's this whole-scale movement where we're building a brand. And we're overthrowing a nation state. We're, we're, we're driving out a peoples. And Jesus is saying, it was actually the act of healing the disabled woman that is evidence of the presence of the kingdom. It's an expectation. Now with that thought in mind that every time the spirit breaks, they stand chains. It is a work of the kingdom. And the kingdom advances. Notice how he asked the follow-up question in verse 18. He said, therefore, right, with the, with the question of the kingdom on their mind, you tell me what is it like. And then he moves the goalposts a little bit further, and he presses them. And to what shall I compare it? What, what's it like? What, what kind of simile or, or what kind of parable, what kind of instruction? We say, it, the kingdom of what I've expressed to you and what you've seen in this woman is like this. This is how it actually works. What do you think it is? It is the reign of God, absolutely. What do you think it works like? How do you think the absolute work of God goes forward? Only on a grand scale of overthrowing everybody that's evil. No. It's a little bit different than that. The healing episode of the woman is case in point. She is not some individual act that's off the radar in some sort of random healing. What Jesus did in healing the woman of disease is part and parcel of the work of the kingdom as a whole. But Jesus pushes it a little bit further to express not only is it individual, but the individual works of the kingdom will continue to expand to where they are even global throughout all the earth. Again, the question is, what shall I compare it, or how should I explain its influence? It's global. It's massive. It's overthrowing. No, it's different than that. Um, How should I explain the influence? To, To what should I compare it? I know. It's like a grain of mustard seed. We're still, we're still correcting expectations for the kingdom. Not only the nature of it, what is it, but how does it work? 
And how does it expand? Jesus explains it in verse 19. Look with me in verse, again, 19. It is like, um, the influence is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. So much so that the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Again, we've heard this text before, right? The conversation of the mustard seed. And some people have even sought to like discredit the Bible and be like, oh, you know, Matthew's reports that Jesus says the smallest of all seeds. Hey, you know, uh, we found out the Bible's not true. It's not the smallest of all seeds. Um, again, he, he, he's not at this point, at any one point, making a botanical statement. Like, you know what? Out of all seeds in the earth, I'm going to tell you right now, out of all the seeds, right? It, 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 it makes sense to common Israel. This is the smallest seed that you're familiar with, right? So, again, it's parabolic. It, 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 it's, it's helpful. It's, if I had five seeds and one was, out of the five I only had, I only sowed these five seeds, and this one was the smallest that I was aware of, for someone to point out to me and go, you know, the mustard seed, the, you know, the smallest of all seeds. You'd be like, oh yeah, right. And I'd be like, well, we're not sure of that. We don't know where all the seeds are. And we don't, that, that's, that, that, that's a, a weird question to ask in the text to kind of debunk the science of the Bible or whatever it is. The point here is the kingdom. What's it like and how does it grow? How does it expand? I will say, however, on the note of how small a mustard seed actually is, um, I did look into it for a moment. Um, it, basically, from what I saw, it is one millimeter, essentially roughly one millimeter, which, again, for whatever reason, America didn't go with the metric system. We have no idea, but none of us know it, except maybe a few of you do. I, I don't know. But, so if we were to be like, what does that even mean? One millimeter at this point, we'd grasp that it is smaller than the tip of a sharpened pencil, Right? Okay, great. So we're all settled. It's a small seed is the point. And it is very small. Now consider how the kingdom, if you, what is it? It's authority and rule of God. Absolutely. That's what it is in its nature. How does it work? Or to what should I explain its expanse or its influence? Because you're under the impression that the expanse and the influence is this. And I'm helping you grasp it's not expanding that way. It expands more like a mustard seed. What is the work of the kingdom like a mustard seed? Consider that a mustard seed simply, as you know, I mean, this is common sense, right? It gets planted. It begins a process of germination. It sprouts at some point. In other words, it perseveres in difficulty, right? It it gets planted. Someone has to care for it and cultivate it. It does germinate. It undergoes an actual difficult process. It does sprout. It pushes through the soil, and then it grows as far as the mustard seed is concerned, into a tree-like bush with a height of 8 to 12 feet with foliage big enough to support birds to nest within it. The point is obvious. The sowing of the mustard seed, if you were just to take the seed and plant it into the soil, your expectations would not be without experience that you're going to see a 12-foot bush with leaves in a matter of months. That wouldn't be your expectation because the seed would have to undergo a very long process of persevering through challenge, of being cultivated and nourished, 
and the growth would be slow. Yes, it would be slow, but it would also be expansive. Again, our Lord is drawing our attention to recorrect, or should I say just to correct, our expectations of what the kingdom is and how it works. The kingdom as mustard seed starts very small. How small? How small is the start of the kingdom? Like a woman who is handicapped for 18 years. Who is otherwise invisible to anybody else. That's how small. That's not the kingdom. All right, you tell me what's the kingdom like then. That is the work of the kingdom. That woman was like the mustard seed. No, I want you to correct every person in this synagogue right here, right now. No. The kingdom is at work and the mustard seed of the woman who is disabled. The kingdom starts, in many ways, very, very small and very, very individual. But soon, by the Spirit's influence, invisible beginnings grow into unimaginable amounts of fruit. Look at the second example that is pretty straightforward as well. When we move from what's it like, and again, he's driving home the point. Why? Why doesn't he just end with the mustard seed? Because he has to drive this home to correct our expectations. We're thinking physical rule. We're thinking physical overthrow. We're thinking a physical land and a physical kingdom. And it's not like, if I just said to you, no, that you'd let that go. When I die in Jerusalem in a few weeks, you need to call this text to mind. The kingdom is at work. Again, he says, verse 20, and again he said, to what shall I compare it? Maybe, maybe I can drive you past the mustard seed. I'll compare it to something else. Let me help you again. Verse 21. This is what it's like. It's like yeast. Or as the text says here, leaven. So it's like yeast that a woman took and hid. What? Yes. It's almost invisible in its effectual working. But it is working. It's kind of like the yeast that the woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all yeasted up or leavened. It's like this influence that goes out subtly, almost invisibly, but effectually. And you see the fruits thereafter, and that fruit does remain. One kitchen magazine to drive your attention to the yeast. Some of you might bake bread. I know Adri does for us, but I don't talk to her a lot about it. Um, but a kitchen magazine, I do know enough to like, if, we, if you have too much yeast, it's going to be a monster in your kitchen. If you don't have enough, you don't have bread. So I, I get the basic idea. Um, 
there's dynamics at work in the yeast and in the bread. Where I turn to a kitchen magazine. It says this, quote, Baking with yeast, or as we see here in the text, it is like leaven that a woman took and hid. She did this in a sense in an invisible manner. But then when you come back, you find out it all worked. It grew into its intended purpose. Baking with yeast is a combination. Think about the text now in light of the kingdom. Baking with yeast is a combination of art, science, and a bit of magic. Right? really makes you want to go bake bread. Be a baker. You know, it, it draws you in. Wow, is it really all that? Maybe. But the exhortation to the baker, stay flexible. Stay learning. And your bread and you will be just fine. Think about it in terms of the kingdom. Maybe here in America or, or, or as 21st century Christians, we want to see more evidence. We, we want to see those things that are invisible now. We want to see them falsifiable. We want to test them, touch them, sense them, taste them, to know indeed the kingdom is at work. We want to see the visible triumph. We want to see the external signs. It may seem right now to many of us in ministry, to many of us as believers, that the work of the kingdom seems insignificant and ineffectual. But as Jesus says here, and as evidenced in the work of healing the woman, the work of the kingdom is sovereignly administered. It is sovereignly cultivated. It might even seem to those who stand on the outskirts of his ways invisible and ineffectual. But then he's asking you to remind yourself through the text of Scripture, you tell me then, if it's so invisible and so ineffectual, what to you is the kingdom? Because the kingdom of God, through the reign of Christ, is sovereignly purposed and working to its intent. What should we as his people do? Perhaps take the instruction and exhortation from the magazine. Stay flexible. Keep learning. Persevere under difficulty with a faith that rests upon and receives all of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, as we await the consummation of the kingdom that seems invisible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a few moments around your word. I pray that you'll instruct us in our expectations for the powerful working of the gospel in this age, that you are reigning that you are our ruler, that we are your people and your citizens. Strengthen us, Lord, to embrace what seems to be invisible. Let our faith rise and rest upon you. Thank you for what is visible in the table that is set before us, that we hear you in your word 
but we have been given a grace to see you in your table. Thank you for that grace. Bless our time as we see it, as we sense it, taste it, and we touch it. Let it revive our faith and nourish us yet again that the kingdom of God is assuredly at work. In Christ's name we pray, amen.